Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor here at New Life Lutheran Church. Today on our podcast, we hear the sermon from this weekend, the second Sunday in Advent. Pastor Ben continues our series on Christmas traditions as he explores the tradition of Christmas cards and how God has spoken to humanity throughout the ages. You can catch our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can find it on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abiah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Well, last week, we jumped into the season of the church called Advent, which we look forward to Christ coming not only the second time, but we take a special look at his coming for the first time. And as we did that, we started a new sermon series called Christmas Traditions. And if you missed last week, I really want you to go back to our website or subscribe to our podcast and listen because that sermon really sets the stage for every conversation we're going to have during this entire Advent season. But at the end of that sermon, I made you a promise. I said during the next upcoming sermons, we're going to talk about Christmas traditions. We're going to poke fun at some of your traditions, some of my traditions, and we're just going to have a great time. So today... I'm going to fulfill that promise, and we're going to talk about Christmas cards. Now, Christmas cards 
are antiquated and a little bit strange because every day you send letters to people via your cell phone, your computer. We call them text messages. We call them emails. You might send a Facebook message. You might send a Snapchat or whatever medium you're using. But you write a letter. You type something. You write something. You text something. And you send it off to somebody with a special message. And it costs you zero dollars, doesn't it? It costs you nothing. But during Christmas, we for some reason go to the post office for the first time all year. We type something out, we write something out, and we pay 50 cents per envelope to send a special message off to somebody that we could have done for free. But it's kind of really beautiful that we invest in each other and we invest in sending messages. But when you get those cards and you open them up, there's typically two things inside. One, there's a photo, and two, there's a letter. And the photos are normally very simple, and they're very basic, and they're very uniform. It's people who get all dressed up, and they're all dressed the same. Maybe it's plaid or a shade of blue. And they have a professional photographer come and snap the best photo possible of the whole family when everyone's looking, everyone's smiling, and everyone looks perfect. And they're always sitting on hay bales for some reason. I don't know why we do that, but every family photo, for some reason, they found some hay bales, and they decide to sit on them and snap a photo. Some of you guys do that really formal photo. Some of you guys like the, the silly photos. So you dress up like characters from your favorite movie. Maybe one of you is Chevy Chase, and the rest of you are the rest of the characters from Christmas Vacation. Or you snap a silly picture, and you send that out because you, you're a little bit more humorous, and you send that photo out. Maybe some of you, you're just, maybe it's lazy. Maybe it's just because you don't really care. You take whatever the best picture was from the entire year. You were shopping. Someone took a picture of you, and you're like, this is good enough. Let's send it. Or maybe you're on vacation and you had a good one by the beach, and so you send that out. It has nothing to do with Christmas, but hey, it's a good photo of me, and you send it out. Some of you are more like me, where you just don't really enjoy photos in general. I don't like people taking pictures of me. So I'd send out like a Christmas tree or a picture of an ornament or maybe my dogs or you know, something like that. The kids can probably make it this year, I guess. And we'd send that out. But even with the picture, there's always the message, right? There's always the letter. And some of you guys are really creative. You'll do like the ABCs of Christmas, and you'll go through the whole acronym, and there's something special for every letter of the alphabet. Some of you guys will use the word Christmas, and you'll go through C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S. There we go. And uh, you have all those written down. Some of you guys just do bullet points, and some of you are really overachievers, and you write down like a full-on book of everything that has happened throughout your year. But what you're trying to do when you send out those letters is connect with people And really share your message and share your story. And really, ultimately, what you're trying to do is invite those special few into your life. Now, as you do that, there's always this ongoing debate, and you've probably had it with your spouse or you've had it in your own mind, of who do I send these to? At 50 cents a pop, just for postage, and I'm not talking about the professional photographer and the time to type and all those things. It's kind of an investment, which means you don't want to just send it to you anyone and everyone, right? You want to know exactly who you're sending it to. And so you go through the list, okay, family members and friends, and are they still close enough friends to send a card to? Maybe not. We'll hack them. Did they send us one? And you go through this ongoing debate. Well, as a pastor of a church of like 800 members, the reality is I don't have enough resources, money, or energy to send out that many Christmas cards. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a snapshot. So even if you don't receive one, you'll at least kind of know the general tone of what mine would look like. And it would probably say something like this if I was typing it or writing it. I would say, the Anderson family was really blessed this year. 
We welcomed a new son in November. Kinsley is being a great big sister. She's really embraced her younger brother. Ashley's being a great mom, like always, but she's really taken on this role of caring for both of the kids and is having a great time. And I'd keep writing and writing and writing. And finally, I would get to this part, which is really mostly for me. But I would say, after the incessant whining and responses and questioning and statements from my wife, I finally gave in and I sold my, my beautiful, green, perfect motorcycle and took that money and invested it into a minivan that only a soccer mom could love. And then I would sign it, and then what I would do is I would, I would seal the envelope with the tears running down my face is how that would, that would happen. Well, well before we started sending out Christmas cards, people were sharing messages with each other. And they would share with each other personally, or they would send someone in their place to share a message. And so today we're going to actually interact with a, a portion of Scripture where God sends a messenger to share a message, a story, and invite an individual into his story. This is what Luke says. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we begin to interact with Luke. Luke, the doctor, who became a historian, who looked through all of the details of Christ to see for sure if Christ was who he said he was. Was Christ the Messiah? And he interviewed the disciples, and he interviewed people who had interacted with Christ, and he talked to Mary, and he did all the work. And in the end, he was convinced 100% that Christ was the Messiah. And since he was convinced, he began to write. He began to pen the biography of Christ. But as he did this, because he was so detail-oriented, he wrote down all of the details. And I mean all of the details. Even the boring, mundane, ordinary things. And you can see it as he opens this section. He talks about Herod. Not just that he was a king, or doesn't say just the king. He calls him by name, and he talks about the region that he was king over. And he talks about Zechariah. He talks about the detail of what line of priest he was from. And he talks about his wife and calls her by name, Elizabeth, and says she was from the genealogy of Aaron. And as he wrote all these mundane, kind of boring, seemingly insignificant details, what he was doing was pointing people to the reality that what he was writing was history. What he was writing was fact. And as people in that day got a hold of his letter and began to read it, they could fact check all these details and know for sure if it was real or not real. Now, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, we can do the same thing. We can take Luke's story, his biography, look at all these nitty-gritty details, and we can go back through history and say, is this true? Was there really King Herod? Was he really overseeing this region of the world? Was there really an Elizabeth who followed through the genealogy up to this point? Was there really a Zechariah who was in the priestly line of Abijah? And we can fact-check all these things. And that's the beauty of Luke. Luke, the detailed, oriented doctor who became a historian, wrote down all the details so we can know, just like Luke, that this story is true. 
But this is the story that Luke really wanted to tell to you and really wanted to tell to his readers. And this is what he said. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. So Luke is interacting with two characters this morning. He's talking about Zechariah and Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And what he says about them is that they are blameless and righteous. Now, this is a statement and a phrase reserved for very few in the Bible. So when we interact with this couple, we see right away that they are spiritual elites. They are very, very, very close to God. And the reason Luke tells you this is because he's about to say something that on its face seems like maybe they weren't, especially in that culture, because this is what he says next. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And both were getting on in years. You see, in that culture, and it even creeps into our modern day, is that sometimes we have this false notion that the closer you are with God, the more he will bless you in every sphere of life. The closer you are with God, that you're going to have the best life in every venue. Right? You'll have all the kids you want. You'll have all the money you want. You'll thrive in your job. You'll have the position you want and the, the, the ownership of a certain authority And in that culture, that was kind of this false notion, that the closer you were with God, the more he was going to bless you in this capacity. And like I said, this even creeps into our modern day, that sometimes people have this false notion, that if God loves me, if I'm really close with God, then I'm going to naturally be rich. But Luke is pointing to the reality that that is not true. That's a false statement. Because look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were blameless and righteous. But despite that, they couldn't have kids. And they couldn't have kids because Elizabeth was physically unable to have kids. She was barren. And even if God had blessed them later on or taken that away, at this point in time, they were just too old. Biologically, it was not going to happen. They were past that age to have kids. So this is what happens next. Once when he was serving as priest before God, and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. So Zechariah the priest, he was one of 20,000 plus priests in that day. About 50 plus would serve at the temple on any given day. And on Sabbath, 20 plus more would join in that capacity. And so they'd have about 80 some priests navigating that world. But when they were on duty, occasionally, every day they would have to pull a lot. It was kind of like the lottery system. And the high point of a priest's role would be to burn the offering of incense. And so Zechariah, at the high point of his career, gets chosen for this high honor to go in and burn the incense. And so he walks in to the holy place, one step away from the holy of holies, the most holy place where the veil had separated the two, and he was set out to offer this incense. And as he's doing this, this is what's taking place. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. You see, what's going on here is when the priest would go in to the holy place and offer the incense, the temple would be cleared, and the people would sit outside. And as you can imagine, it was kind of of almost logical that they would think that when the offering would go up and the incense would go to God, that maybe he was a little bit more pleased during that time. Maybe he was a little bit more pliable at that time. And so very often, a group would gather outside the temple, and they would pray. 
And they would offer their petitions to God, and they would ask for the things that they, they want and need and all the things that they hope for. So they're outside gathering. But meanwhile, Luke's inside, and this is what happens. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. So we find Zechariah, he's in the most, he's in the holy place, he's doing his job, and all of a sudden an angel appears. Now when we read the Bible, you've got to understand that we're getting snapshots of history. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we take on this false notion that miracles and God speaking to people and angels and all these things were normal. They were still abnormal even in that day. So when Zachariah's in there and an angel appears, this freaks him out just like it would freak you out if you were standing in church one day and an angel appeared and started talking to you. It says he's overwhelmed with fear. So he's sitting by the altar and he's probably just frozen in terror that an angel is there. But this is what the angel says to him. Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. So the angel speaks to Zechariah and says, your prayer has been answered. Now, Zechariah has probably stopped praying this prayer a long time ago because biologically, at this point in time, he's too old for a child. So even if there was hope somewhere along the way, even if he was praying that prayer, which obviously he was, that prayer had probably ceased. But despite that, God is going to answer his prayer. He's going to give him a son named John, which means Yahweh has been gracious And God's going to show up and show generosity and graciousness to Zechariah by giving him the son, John. And the angel goes on. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to detail the narrative of what John's life is going to be like. He's going to bring joy to people. He's going to change lives. In fact, he's going to take on a Nazarite vow, which means he's not going to drink strong drink and liquor and a few other things. But also, he says, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, which means God has a very specific purpose for John. And the angel continues. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, Luke, who was convinced by interactions with people, he was also convinced by the prophecies. And one of the prophecies said that there would be a day when someone like Elijah would come back. And this was John. This was Zachariah's son, which we later would call John the Baptist. When he came, he became the spirit of Elijah. And he had a very specific purpose to prepare the way for the Lord. You see, John's job, John's purpose, the reason John existed on the earth was to be a messenger for God. To prepare people for the Messiah, to prepare people for Jesus, and then to invite those people into Christ's story and into God's story. So Zechariah responds, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. Now, I love how Zachariah says this. Hopefully, when I'm older, I have the wisdom of Zachariah to say it this way. I am old, but my wife, she is merely just getting on in years. 
So this is like really nice, poetic. His marriage is probably really, really good, as you can tell by his language. But he asks this question, how will I know? Which is kind of, kind of a dumb question. I mean, he's literally talking to an angel, a messenger from God, and he's doubting what the angel is saying. I mean, this angel appeared to him to speak for God, and he's like, how do I know you're telling the truth? Zechariah, this, this is an angel you're speaking to. So he gets his response. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So the angel identifies himself by name. He says, I am Gabriel. And Zechariah, a good Jew, Zechariah, a priest, when he heard that name, he knew exactly who it was. Because this is not the first time this name has been mentioned. In the Old Testament, it speaks of Gabriel. And many Jewish writings speak of Gabriel, the angel who sits next to God, who does God's bidding, who listens to God's word, and occasionally brings that message to people. Shares a story, shares a narrative, shares that message to invite people into God's story. But this is what happens next. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. You see, anytime we disobey God, anytime we don't believe God, anytime our, our faith isn't quite what it should be, there's a, natural, there's a natural result to that. Sometimes it's punishment, sometimes it's just God pushing us in the right direction, which is really what it always is. It's God using even the results, even the consequences to steer us back to him. So in Zechariah's doubt, this is the, the consequence. He can't speak. He's unable to speak for a season of life. And really, I think God is doing that for two reasons. One, it's a punishment for his disbelief. But two, I think God knows in his wisdom that without something physical that Zachariah is going to walk out of this room with, that he would even doubt the story. So God gives him something for a moment, a physicality, a limitation, that when Zachariah walks out, when he thinks, did that really happen? Did I really just talk to an angel? Did someone just tell me way too old to have a kid that I was going to have a kid? Is that really true? But when he walks out, he can't speak, which shows God has power, which means God has actually spoken to him. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service has ended, he went to his home. So they're waiting for him, and they know how long this typically takes, how long the priests typically have to spend in there to do this job right. And they're delayed. He's delayed. And they get concerned because, one, he's old. Maybe something happened to him physically. And two, he was one step away from the most holy place, the holy of holies. And they'd heard stories about people who weren't quite up to par, who God had taken out. And so they had some concerns. It was taking way too long. But finally he appears. Finally he shows up. And they expect the benediction. But instead, he can't say anything. So he starts playing this weird game of charades, trying to explain to them what happened. He's waving his arms and, and moving around because he can't communicate with them properly. But somehow he must be really good. And they figure it out. He's had a vision from God. God has sent him a special message just for Zechariah. And this is what happens with that message. 
After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. For five months, a lady far too old to have a kid conceives, goes away, gets alone, and is dealing with all the emotions of this moment. There's all sorts of fears, all sorts of concerns, all sorts of worries. But over the top of all that, there's this joy. Because this angel has given her a message through her husband, and the promise came true. You see, all throughout the storyline, we see something. We see something about God. And this is what it is. That you are God's Christmas cards. You see, since the beginning, God has used people to share his message. It was the prophets for a season. Even John the Baptist was predicted, the Messiah was predicted through these many prophets. And they were God's messengers to invite people into God's story. And following them, there was people along the way. And then John the Baptist, who is promised, shows up. And he has a message about the Messiah, that this is the Messiah. Christ is the Messiah. And he baptized him and he sends him on to his ministry. And people are drawn to Christ. People are invited into Christ's story. And then Christ has a message. And he shares that message with the people. And he invites people into God's story. And people come to him. And he influences the disciples. And the disciples go out. And they have a message. And they have a story. And they invite people into God's story. And generation after generation after generation, God uses his people to share a story, to share a message, and to invite people in. And in the modern day, this is us. This is me, and this is you. Taking on that role to be a messenger, to invite people into God's story. And that's why this season, this Advent season, this Christmas season, is so significant because our world is tuned into Christmas. Our world is thinking about Christ. They're singing songs about a Savior they might not even believe in. But this is where we step in. Every one of us has been handcrafted by God to have a unique personality, to have unique skills, to have unique friendships, unique family structures, unique coworkers and teammates. And every one of us is uniquely crafted to influence certain people that the rest of us cannot influence. So just like the prophets, and just like Gabriel, just like John the Baptist, and just like Christ, and just like the apostles which means messengers, we too take on that piece of history. And we use little cards, and we use concerts, and we use a cantata, and we use Christmas Eve services with candlelights. We use anything we can to be God's Christmas card in this world, to share a message and connect people to God's story.